Okay, if you have Bibles with you, open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We've been working our way through John's Gospel, currently we're in chapter 6, and we're looking at a conversation between Jesus and the multitudes he fed the previous day with loaves and fish. Really long interaction, long dialogue uh, that Jesus has with them, and so um, just to me seemed to be a, a bit too much to do in one message, so we've just been breaking it down in the bite-sized pieces. We'll finish up uh, chapter 6 today. So what do we know so far from chapter 6? Well, we know that Jesus heals the sick and miraculously feeds the multitude by multiplying a boy's lunch, his, his bread and his fish. In response, you know, the people are thrilled. They think that this is amazing. And... And so they, they're very happy with Jesus and think this guy would be awesome as our king. We, we need to make him our political and our military king. Hey, if you have a king that can multiply food and feed the masses and feed the military and he can heal the sick, you've got an unstoppable army, right? And they're thinking this, this is the perfect guy to throw off Roman oppression. Jesus wants nothing to do with that. He's got another kingdom in mind. He's got a whole other plan. His ways truly are not their ways. So... Uh, because of this, Jesus sends his disciples to the other side of the lake. Well, he disperses the crowd and goes up to a mountain to pray. Well, from the mountain, he can see that his disciples are struggling to make it across the lake because this furious storm uh, has arisen. So what does Jesus do? He walks on the water to them, and it freaks them out. You know, sometimes when Jesus does supernatural things, it freaks us out. How many times in Scripture does an angel appear or God does something, and the first thing that says... It said, be not afraid, or it says, fear not. Why does he say that? Because sometimes when God does stuff, it freaks us out. They freaked out when they see Jesus walking on the water. Like I said before, there was no Old Testament biblical precedent for Jesus walking on water. They had no expectation, no matter how spiritual they might have been, to think that Jesus would come strolling on the water to them in the middle of the night. I'm thinking you'd be freaked out too. Even having read this, right, you'd be freaked out too if Jesus was walking on the water. Imagine driving over the Confederation Bridge and looking over to the right and thinking, oh man, there's somebody, <laughs> he's walking on the water. I don't know, I think it would freak me out. So what does Jesus do? He gets in the boat with them, calms them down, gets in the boat with them, and instantly, supernaturally transports them, all of them, and their boat all the way to the other side of the lake. I bet they feel a little less freaked out after that. The next morning, this crowd who wanted to make him king, they're hungry for breakfast and they're looking for Jesus. And they discover that he's on the other side of the lake, so they go to find him. And at verse 25, this conversation, they do find him, and, and they be, it begins this conversation between Jesus and this, this hungry multitude, these, these hungry Hebrews. Remember the game Hungry Hippo? Anybody have Hungry Hippo? Every time I say Hungry Hebo, Hebrews, I think of Hungry Hippo. <laughs> the crowd wants more bread, and Jesus is telling them that he is the bread of life. Like, so we'll pick up today at verse 51, and uh, we'll finish the chapter. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read 51 to 71. It's a long bit of text, but I couldn't find a, a, a place to break it off where it made sense to me. So just please hang in there and follow me. Verse 51, Jesus speaking, it says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my body is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the ones who feed on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave too? Jesus said to the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the amazing truth and the incredible power that's in your word. Lord, I pray that your word would have its full impact on us and make us to be more like Jesus. Amen? Just amazing stuff. So powerful. So we've got, we've got some agendas and some perspectives going on here. We have two agendas at play here. The people want free food. That's their agenda. Jesus wants to set them free. That's his agenda. There are two contrasting perspectives. The people are just transfixed on the natural, the physical, and the earthly. Well, Jesus has a, is just steadfastly focused on the supernatural, the spiritual, and the heavenly. The problem with this crowd is that they're deceived. And the problem with deception is when you're deceived, you're deceived. So you don't know you're deceived, right? If you were aware that it was deception, you would change your perspective. You would change your mind. The problem with deception is you don't know it. I've heard it said that we're vulnerable to deception when there's something we want. We're vulnerable to deception when there's something we want. When we want something, when we have a, a, a steadfast perspective, when we have an agenda, it's easy to be blinded to the truth and see only what we want to see. Um, I told somebody once, it's like you blow through all the yellow lights and all the red lights because they look to you like they're all green lights. It's deception. It's what you want. Their want, the crowd, their want created a filter distorting their perception. 
They want another free meal, and because it's so strong, they can't see the amazing gift of eternal life being offered to them. They can't see the Savior of the world, the, the Messiah that they long for, standing right in front of them. They're blinded by what they want. They want bread to live for today, and Jesus is offering himself that they might live eternally. And Jesus is speaking parabolically. He uses parabolic language. Throughout the gospel, Jesus speaks metaphorically. He speaks parabolically to the crowd. He speaks the language of analogy and simile. The crowd is listening with literal ears. And as a result, they misunderstand Jesus. It makes me wonder how often we misunderstand him. How often does he speak to us metaphorically or parabolically and we misunderstand him? If it could happen to them and he was standing right in front of them, flesh and blood, and they misunderstood him, I don't know. Humility tells me I can miss it too. You know, I think it's possible. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 51, what Jesus says compared to what the crowd hears. In verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is talking about his coming sacrifice. He's talking about the crucifixion and salvation. He, he's talking about the, the offer of unity, of oneness between God and man. But obviously that's not what the crowd heard because in verse 52 they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because all they wanted was food, all they could hear was cannibalism. Can you see how the filter is at work here, right? They... For the life of them, they wanted breakfast. He fed them yesterday. They wanted a free meal again today. They're, they want their bellies filled. So when Jesus speaks to them in metaphoric and parabolic language, their head, they go directly, because of their deception, they go directly to cannibalism. How can he give us his flesh to eat? And so verses 53 to 56, Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Powerful statement. If you can read that with a parabolic or metaphoric understanding, you know how profoundly significant this is. Jesus is saying that what I'm offering to you is the same relationship that I have with my Heavenly Father. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, the Trinity, who have been one eternally and have lived in this perfect circle of pure love. He's saying, just like we've loved one another, just like we've been one, this is what I offer to you. Is that what they heard? They didn't hear that at all. Jesus speaking metaphorically concerning the depth of unity being offered between humanity and the Trinity. The people hear something very different in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Yet again, the people miss it. They're deceived by their want. Their focus is on the natural, not the spiritual. Their focus is on the earthly, not the heaven, heavenly. They want more free food. And again, because all they want is food, all they can hear is cannibalism. 
So today is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Right? <laughs> Do we have any Star Wars fans here? All right, we got a few. In Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace, Jedi Master uh, Ki-Gon Jinn says to a young Anakin Skywalker, he says, be mindful. Your focus will determine your reality. I think that's a pretty good quote. John Paul Jackson says it this way. What you focus on, you make room for. They're focused on food. They want breakfast. They want another free meal. And they don't know why Jesus isn't just doing it like he did yesterday. They're fixed on the natural. And it's distorted their reality. So much so that they're missing Jesus' offer of eternal life and unity. So instead, all that they could see were the evils of cannibalism. And as a result, now get this, they're talking to Jesus. They're having a face-to-face -face with the Son of the living God, with the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the long-looked-after, long-longed-for Messiah. And they're so deceived that they call good evil. They call the offer of unity between God and man, of his great love, of salvation, they call good evil. They call that cannibalism. It, it's the height of deception. Verses 61 to 65. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? You know what? I'm, I've been a Christian a long time. Maybe, maybe you've had a different journey than me. Maybe you've never been offended at God. I, 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 that would be great. I've been offended at God. You know, I like to do things the way I like to do things. And guess what? He doesn't always like to do things the way I like to do things. And sometimes I'm on this journey and I'm expecting it to go this way and he wants to go that way. And I wish I could tell you that, oh, I'm instantly obedient to even the slightest move of the Holy Spirit, um, except that that wouldn't be the truth. You know, there are times I'm thinking, that's a really good way to go. Why are you doing this? And it offends me. God, I've learned, will offend our minds to reveal our hearts. He's done it to me repeatedly. Maybe that never happens to you. I hope. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of life. Excuse me, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father enables him. The people are offended, and Jesus knows it. His response to them might have well have been this, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you're offended now, what are you going to think when I, when I ascend back to my heavenly throne and sit next to my father? How offended will you be then? That's pretty much what the text is saying. But at least in verses 30, uh, excuse me, 63 and 64, he offers them some explanation concerned at eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Those verses are this. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, the words I have spoken to you, the words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. 
Jesus is pointing out this ongoing clash of perspectives that we see repeatedly chapter after chapter in John's gospel. Jesus is saying, I'm speaking spiritually, not physically. I'm speaking spirit, not flesh. I'm speaking of eternal life, not temporal earthly life. And still, you don't believe. Still, you don't trust me. Concerning Jesus' statement, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Verse 63, David Guzik, commentator, says this. This could well be the theme statement for this whole discourse of Jesus. He continually calls us to put our hearts and focus on spiritual realities and not fleshly realities. That's the ongoing conflict. They are so locked into the physical, to the flesh and the blood, to what they can sense and taste and touch and feel and hear with their natural senses. They have no concept. No ability to to engage with the supernatural realm, even though Jesus is right there in front of them. So, enlightened with this new information, does the crowd come to his senses? (laughs) Sadly, no, just the opposite. In verse 66, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's got to be one of the saddest verses in all scripture. I just find it curious, chapter 6, verse 66, right? 666 here. From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's as if they finally realized, hey, we're not going to get any more free bread out of this guy, and so they decided to, to walk away. But this is the astonishing part. Jesus lets them go. He lets them walk away. Most pastors I know, they would have stood on their heads. They'd have jumped up and down. They'd have jumped through any hoops necessary to convince the people to stay. After all this work, they draw this great big crowd, there's signs, there's wonders, there's miracles. They people want to make them a king. This is like the great fantasy of every North American pastor, you know. Oh my goodness, it's awesome. I got a great crowd of people, the Spirit of God's moving, they think I'm awesome. They think I'm it. Jesus lets them Go. I don't see John chapter 6, verse 66 in any of the church growth books I've ever read. No, no, no. It's not any of them. So after an extended dialogue, Jesus lets them choose. Now, it's good to note here that he engaged them. They had a long conversation. This went on for some time. It began the day before. It wasn't like he blew them off without giving them audience, without communicating to them. He communicated with them. They had a long dialogue. And at the end of the long dialogue, he left them with the freedom to choose. He refused to infringe upon their freedom. And they chose poorly. So surely, any any good leader, any trained leader, any leader worth his salt... He knows that after you've had this major exodus from your church, the next thing you, you, you do is you've got to gather your core group of people. You've got to gather your core leaders and shore up your base, right? Because the whole ministry is falling apart. You've got to just strengthen the core so at least you have something you can rebuild with, right? Nope, his ways are not our ways. We've got a strange-looking Jesus over here. He doesn't do things the way we do things. Verses 67 to 69. He looks to the 12, and this is what he says. Do you want to leave too? Do you? 
Jesus asked the 12, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. So Jesus turns to the 12, and he says to them, do you want to go too? And you know what? Just like he gave the, the crowd the freedom to choose, he'll let them choose as well. He was not, he refuses, obviously, he refuses to control or to coerce or to manipulate the relationship. If they wanted to leave, they were free to do so. They were free to choose as well, just like the crowd did. But unlike the crowd, they chose wisely. And God bless Peter. Peter gets it. You know, Peter does much in the gospel to make us roll our eyes and shake our heads and think, oh man, Peter. But he gets it here. I mean, he just completely and perfectly gets it. His focus is where it should be. He knows that, that Jesus' words, um, that the words that Jesus speaks, it's eternal. It's about eternal life. It's not about the bread that will fill his stomach for the day. And I love his response to Jesus. He says three things to Jesus. The first thing he says is, Lord, to whom shall we go? Look, there's no option that compares to you. Nothing better in all of creation compares to who you are and what you've given us. Who, where can we go? The second thing he says, you have the words of eternal life. Peter understood Jesus' metaphoric and parabolic language. He knew that the words that Jesus spoke were spirit and life. <laughs> he knew that Jesus was never talking about the breakfast menu. He was talking about eternal life. Peter got it. God bless Peter. And I love the last thing he says here. We have come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. Believe and know. We've talked about those two words a bunch of times now in, in the Gospel of John. It just seems like it's, it comes to a head at this point right here. He says, we've come to believe and know. Believe comes from that same um, Greek root word I've, I've mentioned repeatedly, pistis. And it means to trust. And the word know here is gnosko. And it means, to, it means to know somebody intimately because you've had an experience with them. To know them experientially in a deep and an intimate way. Pistis and gnosko. Trust and intimate knowledge by experience. He's saying to Jesus, Jesus, we pistis and gnosko you. We trust you and intimately know you because we've had experiences together. We're friends. We trust and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where the, the crowd completely missed it, Peter got it. Man, he just nailed it. So the, the chapter ends with Jesus' comment concerning Judas. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. The simple spiritual devotion of the disciples to Jesus, of, of Peter's expression of devotion, just isn't stark contrast to the coming apostasy and betrayal of Judas. just makes it all the more horrible. So, so we finally finished up this, this dialogue between Jesus and the hungry Hebrews. What's, what's our Monday morning? You can't think of anything but hungry hippos now too, right? I'm sorry. Earworm. 
So what's that Monday morning takeaway? What benefit is this to you tomorrow morning when you wake up? Well, I think it's this. We have a choice. We always have a choice. Every day we have a choice. We have a choice Sunday afternoon. Monday morning we have a choice. From circumstance to circumstance we have a choice. And this text, I think, helps us. We can follow the crowd's example or we can follow Peter's example. That's, that's at least one of the choices before us. In all of God's incredible sovereignty and his matchless power and authority, because of his great love for us, he will not violate or remove your right to choose. What's your Monday morning takeaway concerning your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You have a choice. He's not going to manipulate the relationship. He's not going to coerce you. He's not going to shame you. He's not going to twist your arm. He's going to be available. You can choose relationship with him, or you can choose to walk away. It has to be that way. If it's anything other than that, then it's not. It's a, well, if it's anything other than that, it's an unhealthy relationship. And it's not truly love. Think about it. You probably know somebody who's been in or is in an unhealthy relationship where one member, one person, the, the husband or the wife, the boyfriend or the girlfriend, the, the parent or the child are overwhelmingly dominant and controlling of the other. Right? There's no freedom whatsoever. The person is absolutely coerced. They're shamed. They're humiliated. Sometimes they're actually physically beaten in the relationship to do what the dominant one wants. Could there be anyone more dominant than God? Is there anyone more powerful? With just this much of an oomph, he could put more pressure on us than we could possibly bear. He certainly could have done this to the crowd. He chose not to. Instead, not because he didn't care, but because of his great love, he left the choice in their hands. You can choose to love me, or you can choose to walk away from me. The choice is absolutely yours. What's our Monday morning takeaway? You have a choice. You have a choice. You will always have a choice. And he gives you that choice not because he doesn't care, but because he cares more than you could possibly comprehend. If it's not free, it's not love. It's got to be this way. God could have created us differently. Instead of giving us this you know, incredible minds that we have, he could have made us little robots that had to choose him. That's not what he chose to do. He gave us an option. From the garden, he gave an option. You can have anything in the garden you want except that one tree. Don't eat from that tree. Well, actually, the two trees. Actually, the one tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. He gave, he gave us choice from the, from the beginning of creation because that's what love does. That's a healthy relationship. So God, in all his great power and authority, because of his great love for us, will not violate or remove our right to choose. We have choice. Me, I want to be like Peter. I don't want to be the crowd. I want to be like Peter, understanding Jesus' metaphoric and parabolic ways of communicating. I want to be like Peter, 
pistis and gnoscoing Jesus, uh, trusting Jesus, intimately knowing Jesus by the experiences that we've shared together. I want to have my focus on the, not on the natural or the physical or the earthly, but I want my focus to be on the supernatural, the spiritual and the heavenly. I, I want my focus to be fixed on Jesus. How about you? Truly, <laughs> the choice is yours. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good. You're beyond comprehension. You have so much power, so much authority, and yet you refuse to use it to dominate us. Instead, you take the awesomeness of who you are and you invite us into a relationship. You invite us into friendship. I'm not sure I'll ever fully get your ways, but I'm so thankful that you're a God of love. And so, Lord, at least now, this Sunday morning, at the end of this message, collectively, individually, we choose you right now. I might not feel this way later today, but, Lord, right now, I choose you. I want relationship with you. Right now, Lord, I want your ways more than I want my ways. Lord, I, I choose right now, and I ask you, would you make me to be more like Peter, like he was this day, like he was at the end of this encounter? Would you make me to be more like Peter? Do it, Lord. And Lord, would you capture my attention when I'm behaving more like the crowd instead? I ask you, I invite you, because of our friendship, I ask, hey, would you give me an elbow? Would you nudge me? Would you wake me up when I'm missing it? And Lord, sometimes I can't do it by myself. I need a friend. I need Jesus with skin on. I need a brother or a sister who will give me a hug or a word of encouragement. Just remind me how loved I am. Lord, I pray for myself and my friends today. Would you bring the right people into our lives just at the right time? Lord, I pray for everyone who's been discouraged, that you would encourage them. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray for myself and for anyone else who's been offended, that we deal our ways to your ways. Help us to see the circumstances from your perspective. Open our eyes. Oh, God. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit and that we'd have all the life that we need, that we'd have all the light that we need for this coming week. I ask, Lord, that you bless our relationships with our spouses, bless our relationships with our family members, on the job with our neighbors, oh God. Lord, I pray that you would grant us, I pray for everyone in this room, that you would give us divine appointments this week, that our paths would cross with another person's path so that either we could be life-giving to them or they could be life-giving to us, or both. Give us a divine appointment this week. I ask that you do it, Lord. Give us eyes that see the parabolic and metaphoric ways that you communicate. Give us ears that hear in the same way. Help us, oh God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 I love you guys. I pray you have an awesome day, and I'll see you throughout the week. <laughs>